This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. All right, still in Romans. And uh, we finished up chapter 3 last, last time. We started talking in chapter 3 about Abraham, I think. And now we're going to continue with Abraham. And as we go along, I'll, I'll talk a little more about it. But it's, it's going to be important to understand why he's brought up. And it's going to be important to do some cross stuff. So you're going to want to be in James chapter 2, as well as uh, Romans chapter 4. Uh, we may go to Hebrews chapter 11. So those are all places that if you've got extra fingers, you might want to put them. Um, so for chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God's righteousness, God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All right. This, this business, um, what does the scripture say? Again, he is referring back to the Torah. Okay, So what you have is the uh, call of Abraham, where Abraham uh, talks to God about his progeny. And when uh, God assures him that he will have some, he believes. And because of that, he is then justified by faith. Ver chapter 4 here, or verse 4, I'm sorry. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. What, what he's saying there is if Abraham was earning it, then he got his righteousness as a wage. In other words, if righteousness were something that could be earned, Abraham, by his work, earned it, and therefore it is not a gift if it's a wage. So if, for example, you have an employer, you go in and you put in your eight hours, at the end of the day, your employer is not giving you a gift. He is giving you something that you have earned. Okay? And so what Paul is saying here is that righteousness is a gift from God. And we talked about that last time. Okay? Uh, remember we were in Psalm uh, 24, where David said that he shall receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. And again, the, the righteousness is a gift to those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up their souls to an idol and have not sworn deceitfully, and who seek the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? So that's the criteria, if you will, by which someone receives righteousness as a gift. Okay? Now, 
We also talked last time about the paths of righteousness. What I said last time, and I will say again because I was correct, is that a path is not some place that you typically sit. A path is something that you travel on. Okay, that's sort of by definition. Now, as I said, you can of course sit down on a path if you want to, but a path is designed to travel on. So paths of righteousness indicate that righteousness is something to be lived out, not something to possess. Okay, did I say that so it made sense? Now, what we're going to do is go to James, and James is going to say the same thing. And he's going to refer to the same, not the same incident, but a different incident in Abraham's life. And he's going to talk about faith also. So I'm in James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, what he's positing here is that there are two ways that faith might be demonstrated. One way you might demonstrate your faith is without doing any works. The other way you might demonstrate your faith is through your works. Okay? Everybody see the distinction James is making here? So he's talking to somebody who is basically arguing with him. He says, what if someone says he has faith but does not have works? In other words, we're talking faith and works, and somebody walks up to you and says, I have faith, which you will have happen to you frequently in a Sunday church. Okay? So the answer to that is, how delightful. Let me see your works. Because without works, it is impossible to demonstrate faith. Okay? Everybody understand what I just said? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So, again, he's talking about people who say, I believe in God, or I believe in Yeshua, or I believe in Jesus, or whatever you want to call him, right? And he says, well, that's very nice, so do the demons. So, what does that get you especially that you believe in God? In other words, you have not demonstrated anything to me that a demon couldn't walk up and also say. Okay? 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Notice he's quoting the same passage. Now, I've got to tell you, there in James, he's mixing two passages. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness is back, I think, in about verse 15 in Genesis. I I, I didn't look it up, but it's it's early on in Abraham's walk. Yeah. 17. 17, thank you. Um, And then the Akedah, which is the binding of Isaac, doesn't occur till Genesis or 21, maybe? 22. 22, thank you. I'm glad somebody out here has looked these up. So James here is mixing two incidents in, in Abraham's life here, and it's important to understand that, because both James and Paul are saying the same thing, that it was accounted to him for righteousness. So they're, they're both saying that, but they're using two different incidents in, in Abraham's life to justify that statement. Um, where am I here? 
and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works and so forth. Okay, so anyway, what James is saying, and, and, and one of the ways to look at the Word of God, and since we've got some new folks that haven't seen this before, I'll trot it out again. Most of you have been trained to look at the Word of God in a Greek way. And Greek is a wonderful language and a wonderful mindset if you are doing science. Okay? It, 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 it's absolutely designed for that. Really good at it. It is not, however, the best vehicle to study the Word of God. Okay? It promotes linear and syllogistic thinking. Okay? And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. I use it myself all the time. Okay? Logic is, is a really good tool. Handy lots of times. But it's not the only tool. And most people who grow up in the Sunday church, that's the only tool they got in their bag. The Hebrew way of looking at things is holistic. In other words, something can be many things simultaneously, which is, you all know, true. So I look at uh, Mike there, and I say, well, he's got brown hair. He's a handsome guy, strong. He's married. All of those things are true about you simultaneously. And as I am looking at you, which one I happen to think about depends on what we're doing. Okay, if I need you to pick up the other end of a log, the fact that you're strong is really useful to me. So I would talk about your strength. Okay? If I wanted to stand next to you and bask in your reflected glory, I would talk about your good looks. Okay? One doesn't negate the other. So one of the things that happens when people read Paul in a Greek way is they start reasoning linearly and say, if this and this and this, then this can't be. So here Paul says, faith... James says faith without works is dead, and faith establishes works. Paul says you're justified by faith alone. Both of those are true statements, okay? And they are not contradictory, okay? And this is where the Greek mind just ah, comes to a screeching halt and doesn't know what to do with it. Both true. What James is saying is, you do works because you have faith. And if you do not do any works, then regardless of what you say, you have no faith. So your works establish your faith. And if there are no works, there is no faith. What Paul is doing is simply emphasizing that righteousness is a gift from God, which is a Torah concept. Okay, And it is not something you can earn. James is also not saying it is something you can earn. Neither one of them is saying that faith can be earned through works. Okay, What one is doing is emphasizing faith as a gift, or righteousness as a gift. What the other one is doing is emphasizing the works of righteousness which come because you have faith. Am I saying all that so makes sense? Okay, and, it, and it's, you know, if you study Romans in isolation, then you can get all wrapped around the axle and say, and, and, I've, and I've argued with people like this. Hey, if you accept Yeshua as your Lord and Savior, that is a work, and you're saving yourself by works, and it doesn't count. Okay, I've, I've had people just flat tell me that. 
The only thing that counts is when the, the, the faith of God drops on you like a brick and you just become. Okay, that's extreme Calvinism, by the way. And you just get all wrapped around the axle when you don't see that something can be true simultaneously in a number of different ways depending on what you're looking at and depending on what you're emphasizing. Yeah, Gillian? Mm-hmm. Because of what we believe in. Yeah, and, and again, if it didn't make it on the tape, the comment was that faith is vertical, works are horizontal. And they're orthogonal to each other. And what that means is you can go through life thinking that you have one or the other, but if you don't have both, you don't have a complete relationship with God. I, I would agree. And, and the example that I often use when I preach about this is I used to be a paratrooper. And if you would ask me if I had faith in my parachute, I'd say, you bet. That's a really good parachute. Best parachute. I, I know the guy, that, the rigger that packed it. Got great faith in this parachute. Do I have faith in that parachute? No. The time that I have faith in that parachute is when I strap it onto my back and step out of an airplane. That's when I have faith in my parachute. Because what I've done is I have taken a step that's irrevocable, and if I don't trust that parachute, and the parachute is not trustworthy, I'm going to be in a bad way. And it's the same thing with God. Until you get yourself in a position where the only thing that is going to work is faith, and then you step out as if that were going to happen, that's when you have faith. You can sit here in a nice quiet room and just have all the faith you want, and and God bless you. But until you put yourself in a position where it is irrevocable, and the only thing that you've got to trust are the promises of God, and then you step out and do so, that's when you have faith. And that you have demonstrated your faith through your works.